I didn't know Tom Holland before we shot Fright Night Part 2 and after it came out, my husband knew Tom, he knew his agent actually, we went to his house for a party, he's got a great house, and uh, I heard someone, he was talking about Fright Night too, and I said, did you like the film? And he said, did you see it? And I said, what? I, I played Regine. So he said, but an African-American woman played Regine. And I realized then that all of my ethnic mix shows up on film in a wonderful way because I look so different no matter what the light is, what the camera angle is. My great-grandfather was Cuban, so I have that Cuban which has African blood in it and all of that came through and I think that it's perfect for the Regine character because she's 2,000 years old and she has all these different ethnic and cultural influences and I like that about the character. Hey, film fans, welcome back to a brand new episode of Not A Bomb Podcast. More importantly, welcome to Fright Night Part 2. Brad, how was that for an intro? Fantastic, buddy. You nailed it. Thank you so much. Yes, we're we're closing out Spooktober with another listener pick. And uh, it's it's a sequel to probably one of the most famous horror, famous horror movies of the 80s. Is that is that a fair assumption? I would assume so, yeah. Okay. Uh, real quick. How about we just do some general introductions? We got some familiar uh, voices on. You want to go through that real quick, Brett? Yeah. Uh, back again is Sammy from the GGTMC. How are you, Sammy? I am good. How are you guys doing? Great. Excellent. Great. Awesome. And we have Jose from WatchKit Plus. We have the Breaking Brad crew here tonight. Yes, we do. And as usual, I'm bringing up the rear. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. You guys have been podcasting all day, so I hope um, I hope you got a little bit of energy for us. So do. I uh, do, I do, we do, we do. Don't worry. <laughs> okay. uh, as we as we know, we can all talk movies. But yeah, a little behind the scenes, we recorded some Watch Skip Plus this morning. We did. It was epic. It was epic. Yeah, I, for I, an I, epic film. <laughs> I feel like this has been a pretty epic weekend. Brad was sending over pictures of like I don't know this Sam's Club uh, U-Haul. Uh, candy thing. You had a big event this weekend, Brad. Yeah. So usually the weekend before Halloween, I have a bunch of people over to my house um, in the neighborhood to kind of do a little movie Halloween movie marathon. Oh, nice. What'd you watch? So we started off with when evil lurks. um, And so the people that I watch it with are, we would consider them to be normies. So so my job is, my job is to kind of, uh, 
Shocked yeah. the shit out of him. Shocked the shit out of him. Yeah. Okay. So we started we, with that. We called them uh, lesser thans. Yeah, lesser like thans. Yeah. Leather. <laughs> <laughs> Were they sufficiently shocked over when evil lurks? They everyone unanimously loved that movie. Uh, I think it's the best movie that I've seen this October. Um, Sweet. Sweet. And then we shifted gears. Um, we all saw that uh, the Exorcist, the Believer, uh, was streaming oh, you, on VOD. You didn't. You didn't. Uh, I lost out uh, four to one in my vote to oh, not watch it. So poor we bastard. That. I'm so sorry. And that's, everyone that, absolutely hated that, it. Yeah. So that's called branding, though. That is exactly what branding does, yep. right? There. That's what that 400 million bought, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Did yep. everybody and, like and that Brad, one? And Brad got to say, "I, I told you so." You so. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Don't trust me. They knew that I was right because I was uh, letting everyone know. Um, and then we watched uh, Evil Dead, the first Evil Dead, uh, the remake one from like 2013. Like it's been a while since that oh, one came out. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah I nice. forgot how bloody and juicy that movie is. It's it's yeah. actually a really awesome remake. And then lastly. We watched your next and uh, yes, I think your next holds up fantastically. And I absolutely love that movie. So that Adam Wingard, awesome. baby, Adam yep. Wingard. That yep. is a solid marathon. Yeah, minus one film. Yes. Okay. But, but I'm <laughs> yeah. glad I watched it. I'm glad I got to see it for myself and make my yeah. own decision. There is really nothing redeeming about that movie. I'm sorry. It no. is bad. It's terrible. 100%. Mm. Yeah. Sammy, yeah. did did you have uh did you fill your weekend with Fright Flicks? Uh I have watched some things. Um I hate when you ask me and I'm never ready, but um yeah, I mean I, I, I can't speak on when evil lurks yet because I'm in the process of watching it. I had to pause because I'm a podcaster by trade. Oh okay. <laughs> so I stop. But I did watch uh uh Titan, Titania, Titan. Oh yeah. Which okay. I would Titan Titine. Titine, Titan. Anyway, that's a film that's a couple years old now, but boy, it'll leave a mark. You love your transgressive cinema, one hundred percent, don't man. you? Let me tell you. Let me tell you, Troy. I think three of the four of us have seen it. And I think you might be the one that hasn't. I right? have not seen it. Um, Sorry. Let me tell you, Troy. Uh, there's very few movies that make me cringe. This movie caused me to look away. Oh, well, I'm gonna have to watch it then. Yeah. Oh, I'm just gonna the- say. Jesus with the hairpin. Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Yes. Oh, yes. Okay. All right. <laughs> oh my God. I'm intrigued. Okay. Anyway, it's transgressive as transgressive can get that okay. film. Uh, okay. And then I watched, uh, oh, what else did I watch? Jesus. Oh, Five Nights at Freddy's. Oh. Yeah, I did what all the cool kids are doing. <laughs> did you Did you watch that with your son? No, I didn't go to the theaters and see it. I uh, I wimped out, did the 50-year-old man thing, and then uh, abused the Peacock subscription and watched it at home. I watched that Friday uh, night I- as well. I he abused his peacock. Uh, I will say what Brad might say. I'm glad I watched this at home. I'm glad I did not pay to go watch this in movie theater. That is it as bad as what Same. I've been hearing. It's it's not that it's bad. It's that it's it's. I don't know. It's, it's not fun. It's just it's not fun. It takes itself way too seriously. It it is up its own ass. Yeah. Oh. Well, that sounds terrible. It, easily movie of the year when it comes to dream sequences. This movie. <laughs> Has more dream sequences than I. I, I, just, I just I don't know what the, I don't know what was going on. Uh, I mean I do. It's just clunky. It's clunky. It had a few good moments, 
The effects were okay, mm-hmm. but it just eh. it's okay. gonna make a lot of money though. Yeah, it doesn't matter. It's gonna make a lot of money. It's killing yeah. it right out of the right out of the gate. It did really well. So which is which is amazing what it happened to kind of pull in, given that it was also streaming. So yeah. I, I guess it is all about the content it, at this point. It is, and you know, as a in you had children, but I don't know if they were ever into the Five Nights at Freddy's games. Maybe they were. That that's about ten years old. So they, I guess Yeah, they, they tried it and they didn't care for it. So Yeah, they're not very and Brad and I play video games quite a bit. I know you do a little bit too, Troy, but yeah. I know Brad and I probably play games a little bit more than most. I mean, they're not really games, are they? They're kind of just jump scare simulators. Yeah, yeah. I, I tried it too, and it was pretty boring. Yeah, I played it with Landon when he was itty bitty, and you know it was a way to kind of open the door for horror for him. Right. I, I understood that aspect of it, but it was really, really quite lame. But I'm, I'm happy that this generation has its horror heroes, and if it ends up being animatronic Chuck E. Cheese puppets, hey, yeah, so power to. Very weird kind of touches of saw in the thing though very mm, okay perplexing yeah. pg uh, saw pg saw all right mm-hmm. yeah. uh jose and i got to spend the entire day together on saturday yeah man what what did we do jose we attended the second annual dismember the alamo yeah i think is it the second annual for the dc location for the dc location correct correct yes um and uh the the host of the host slash curator of this DC Bryant dismember the Alamo had worked in conjunction with the Ashburn uh, dismember the Alamo people. And he basically got promoted and he gets to pick the movies and he picked some pretty awesome films. Yeah. Uh, I, I got to say uh, Sammy was there for last year and it, yeah. it was a fun event except for one trailer compilation, which just were out. It's welcome after like 10 minutes. I think he yeah, learned his lesson have, from that one. Yeah, you guys didn't have any trailer <laughs> compilations this time? No. I, I got to say, I don't know how you felt, Jose. Uh, I, I think this year was a success because none of the films, now I, I will rank them, but none of the films lulled or um, <laughs> a couple were terrible, but they're, they're like fun terrible. Yes, um, they delivered. They yeah. delivered. Yeah. So do you want to list off what, what we saw? Yeah. Uh, the first one was Nightmare Beach. Directed by Harry Kirkpatrick, which uh, Sammy has informed me was likely Umberto Lenzi. Which uh, who makes sense, it. <laughs> given that film. Yeah, uh, that one, it uh, takes place at Spring Break Miami, where everybody's basically whoring around and then ripping their shirts off and getting wet t-shirts. And there is a yeah. Giallo-esque murderer with a quite unique weapon, if we're going to call it that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's some astoundingly awful acting in it. Yeah. So (laughs) real quick, for those who aren't familiar with this, uh, dismember the Alamo, when, when you buy your tickets, you have no idea what the movies are. And as a matter of fact, they don't tell you what the movie is. What our curator did is he came up with a Scooby-Doo title for each one, which was kind of fun because he said they all, all four movies had a Scooby-Doo-esque theme to them. And, uh, it, it is pretty funny. So I, I think, his title for this one was like Scooby-Doo and the spring break kids or something like that. The spring break slasher or something the spring like that. Break slasher. Yeah. Yeah. That was good. That yep. was good. <laughs> and then, uh, uh, right after that ended, they handed out anaglyph 3d, uh, glasses, the blue and green or blue and red. Sorry. And, uh, 
I had actually guessed it or, or, well, I threw out a bunch of guesses, but essentially we watched William Castle's 13 Ghosts, which uh, I'd never seen the original, but it is a, it's a blast. Um, I love that film. I've I never really seen the original. Love, oh, it's so good. Okay. The chemistry between the family is really endearing, even though the daughter appears to be like 40 years old or something. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, how is that their daughter? So, so um, the gimmick with 13 ghosts is you would get a ghost viewer. And if you don't believe in ghosts, you look through the blue part. And if you believe in ghosts, you look through the red part. And there would be segments of the film that would change over. And then you decide which part to look through and then you would see different things. So oh, they, they did a really fun job of recreating because they had the, the whole William Castle promotion. And um, I, I have a fondness of that film. I've seen it plenty of times, but it was it was so cool to see it on the big screen and then have that experience with the the ghost viewer glasses. Yeah, and and for the record, uh, Dark Castle, which was uh, Zemeckis and I believe Joel Silver, they uh, they're sort of like genre studio, kind of like a pre Bloomhouse Bloomhouse. They remade Thirteen Ghosts, and they were able to sort of work in that gimmick of the three D by having the main characters put on these special spectral glasses so they could see the ghosts or whatever. Um, that that remix is fun, but it's not as fun as this one. Yeah, agree. Yeah, yeah, I I enjoy it for what it is. Uh, the yeah. third one was uh, directed by James Riffle. It was called The Dead Come Home. And curiously enough, Vinegar Syndrome put it out and they had re sort of retitled it The House on Tomb Tombstone Hill or something Tombstone like that. Hill, yeah, I think, yeah. On Tombstone Hill. Um, there's also a really funny story about re-promotion of this. It was released as like uh, Dead Dudes in the House or something. Yeah. And the, the poster looks very much like house party. And there's these sort of like, it looks like these rapper kids, these college kids, but the people in the poster resemble are not any of the actors who are in the actual film. Uh, it's 1989 uh, very, white kids. Yeah, yeah. Very weird. Very weird. But that, that one was very bonkers. Some of it didn't make sense. Uh -huh. it, didn't, it involved a uh, killer uh, grandma, which I, I've never seen. She was that. a ghost was demon crazy. grandma who um, something. Yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> Very crazy. And then the last one was uh, I Drink Your Blood, which mm. uh, very similar in tone, I guess, to Last House on the Left meets, say, you know, a satanic cult uh, worshiping uh, it, stuff. It turns but, into almost the crazies, I guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And let's just not to make spoilers, but let's just say rabies. <laughs> which... I don't yeah. know how rabies works now after watching this film, because I, I feel like yeah. the science in this film was not very good about it was rabies. sketchy. Uh, and when we learned, I guess it was the first movie to get an X rating due to the violence when it was yes. released. So yeah. there's a bunch yeah. of different versions circulating around of this thing, because at that point theaters had the ability to make their own edits. So we saw yeah. a, a theatrical cut, not the uncut. I think there's an uncut version circulating around too, but that, Ooh, that we had super bonkers. We, we had fun with that one today because I actually know some trivia about that film. So you have to listen to Watch Skip Plus to hear the fun we had with that film today. <laughs> awesome. Okay, Jose, I have to ask you if you had to rank the four from best to least best, how how would you rank the four? Um, I think Nightmare Beach was definitely number one. Uh, I'd probably put, I drink your blood as the second, 
13 ghosts and then house on uh tombstone hill oh wow is how i'd rank them yeah yeah i i would rank them 13 ghosts nightmare beach i drink your blood and the dead come home that, that would be yeah. but the audience was great so the, these are the type of films you want to watch in a theater with uh, mm-hmm. non-normies or whatever you guys were. <laughs> lesser thans, lesser thans. Lesser than. There were no lesser thans in the audience. Uh, it was it was a ton. The, the, the 99%. Oh. The <laughs> alligator mouth is not eating those people. Let's yeah. just say that. And, <laughs> and I have to tell everybody, because uh, I, I, I love movie theaters, the Alamo Draft House in D.C. is one of the best ones out here on the East Coast. It the, the way they built it, it's on three stories and it's beautiful. Uh, it looks like a museum piece of just amazing movie posters. And, and even what they do with some of the theaters and stuff like that, it, it's a gorgeous theater. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, if you haven't been to the Alamo experience, go. And if you're ever in the DC area, you've got to check out the Alamo um, at Bryant street, I think is where it's at. Yep. DC so. Bryant street. Also, it feels very like it, it feels like cube because, you know, it it's on three floors and then you go into the theaters and the theaters are huge. And you have and you think to yourself, how do they squeeze all this into one yeah, building? It's, it's really weird. <laughs> it's as, like a as dimensional many theaters as they have. You're thinking, well, everything's just going to be a box, but they're they're really spacious, too. Yeah, incredibly it, it, spacious. I was there last year and even I thought to myself, I don't know. I don't understand the geography of this building. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah it defies physics. It's very odd. <laughs> it's very weird. Yes. Yep. It's like 13 ghosts. It, yes. it is. Yeah. Okay, Brad, uh, we're going to talk about Fright Night Part 2, which I think has a 1988 date associated with it, but it wasn't released until the following year, 1989. So let's go back and talk about this film and uh, how did it do upon its release? Yeah, so you're right. So it has an 88 uh, release, but that's only in Australia. So the U.S. release is May 19th of 1989 with a reported budget of $8 million. Its total box office run returns $2.9 million. Um, That breaks down with uh, opening weekend of $548,000, which is good enough for 14th place. Um, And it gets beat out by a lot of films. Some of them are See No Evil, Hear No Evil, Roadhouse, Field of Dreams, K-9, Pet Cemetery, Major League, Rain Man, Scandal, The Dream Team, Say Anything are the top 10 for that weekend. That is. Those are some great films. Great films. Um, So we got a a double whammy on our hands tonight, gentlemen. Not only is Fright Night Part 2 a a financial bomb, but critically it sits at a 36% um, on Rotten Tomatoes and a 43% with the audience. Ouch. Yeah. Um, Sadly, no Christian review for this, uh, but spoiler alert, they gave Fright Night, the first one, a minus three. Um, And for a little bit of context, uh, Fright Night, the original had a $9.25 million budget. It grosses $25 million. So this one was substantially less. Um, about one, mm, let's, we'll say about one tenth the return of the original. And, um, and finally, well, nine, go ahead. 1985 is when the first one came out. And it was a huge hit, not just theatrically, but also from a, from a video store perspective. Because I think everybody 
especially yeah. if you grew up in the eighties, saw that film and rented it um, and watched it on the regular basis. So I watched, yeah. I watched the original quite a bit on uh, VHS from the good old blockbuster. Yep. Yeah. The, the movie lover uh, tangent of the audience, the Fangoria kids, things like that. Yeah. We, we cherished that movie. Yes. All right. 100%. And finally films that you could have seen may of 1989. We have, Listen to me, uh, Lost Angeles, Earth Girls Are Easy, See No Evil, Hear No Evil, <laughs> uh, uh, Roadhouse on its way to $30 million. The big film of that month was Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, making oh, yeah. $474 million. And bringing up the rear is Pink Cadillac. Wow. Clint Eastwood. Oh. What, a, what an appropriate oh, yeah. title. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so more when, like brown, more like brown Cadillac. Am I right, boys? <laughs> yeah, that, that movie is not good. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Brad, did, did you happen to take a look at what um, horror movies were the top grossing ones of 1989 by any chance? I did not. Okay. So one of the things that I've been trying to do a little bit more of, especially the films that we talked about that hit theatrically was uh, try and find out what the state of horror was at that time period. So I thought this was kind of interesting. I went to look at the top grossing movies of 1989 domestically. And um, there were only three horror movies in the top 50. Okay? Mm, okay. And this is super interesting. So at number seven, which is a movie we've talked about, and it was actually the catalyst of this podcast. Ghostbusters 2. Ghostbusters 2, 1989. Yeah. Right? So that wow. came in at number seven. You don't really get a true horror movie until you drop to spot number 16 and we get Stephen King's pet cemetery. Oh, sometimes dead is better. Yeah. <laughs> then the next horror movie doesn't show up until number 50 and it is a nightmare on Elm street. The dream child. Oh, which Brad probably is either watched or is close to watching. I have, I've seen that. I have rewatched that one this month. Yep. Yes. Yeah, he so was talking about that directed, by, directed by Stephen Hopkins, not a great entry. <laughs> not, not, not great. Yeah, so it's, it's. I think it's super interesting. I mean, horror movies are not making up a lot of the big box office, especially in the top fifty. And um, yeah. you got your horror comedy, your your Stephen King, and then you know a sequel, and those are the only three that were to sort of crack the top fifty of that year from a domestic pers uh, perspective. Mm-hmm. Super interesting. I believe Jason took Manhattan in the year of 1989. If I don't, if my memory serves me correct, I, I, yeah, I think so, so. So I did a, I did kind of a quick search, and it looks like we got things like Leviathan, Society, the aforementioned Jason Takes Manhattan, oh, yeah. Dead, Dead Calm, um, Shocker, Shocker, yeah, Shocker, um, <laughs> Deep Star Six. Oh yeah, uh, the Abyss yeah. came Deep out Star that year. Yeah, Deep Star Six, Leviathan, and the Abyss. I mean, they were all like one, two, three. I mean, it's like yep. let's just get into the water and make a movie. <laughs> Eighty nine was the underwater adventure thriller year. So yeah. there, there were yeah, also was. other films that came out that same time period that were lesser known and even Italian ripoffs. Oh yeah, totally. As well as my favorite, The Return of Swamp Thing. <laughs> yeah, that's, just that's just a, a weird a, a weird year for thing. horror. I think. Well, let's 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 talk about the people that made the film. And um, Jose, nobody could ever even come close uh, to match the amount of detail that you bring to this part. So I'm going to kick it over to you for what you on your show refer to below the line. We call it behind the camera. 
But uh, Jose, tell us about some of the folks involved in making Fright Night Part 2. Sure. So our director is Tommy Lee Wallace. Uh, interestingly enough, I remember reading about him in Fangoria and other magazines, as, and he was listed and often described as John Carpenter's protege. But the truth yep. is, is that Tommy Lee Wallace was simply a frequent collaborator with Carpenter, a creative collaborator. And like we do in Hollywood through the union system, he just basically rose up through the ranks on various productions with Carpenter um, and then became a director and screenwriter of his own right. So born in Somerset, Kentucky, he grew up in Bowling Green. He has an MFA in film production from USC. He and Carpenter were, in fact, childhood friends. Um, and while Wallace was working as an art director and an editor, he helped Carpenter with his film debut, Dark Star, in 1974. He moved up to sound effects editor and art director for Carpenter's Assault on Precinct 13, and then eventually was a co-editor and production designer on Halloween and The Fog, even played the shape and some of those dead pirates in certain shots of those two films. He was actually offered the chance to direct Halloween 2, and most famously, he said he had problems with the script. Wah, wah. But he did agree to write and direct Halloween 3 Season of the Witch, which turned out to end up being a massive cult hit, despite initially being poorly received, not only at the box office, but with audiences and critics, because it did not feature The Shape or Michael Myers Wallace is um, probably most known for also directing Amityville to the Possession, which, if I remember that correctly, reads more like a bonkers Italian possession film than its uh, predecessor, which was sort of based on a true crime story in some ways. Um, he also directed the original It miniseries with Tim Curry as Pennywise. I know that scared the crap out of me as a kid when I was watching it. Um, he did go on to direct mainly after those films, television films and episodes for TV series like Max Hedrum, Tour of Duty, and Flipper. But he has also tried his hand at a screen at screenwriting, writing films like Far From Home, which stars Drew Barrymore. Many don't remember this. It was like a thriller that was sort of her post-rehab comeback. She had just written Little Girl Lost, and then she just got back into films. This was one of her first to be released. And then he also wrote and directed Vampires, Los Muertos, the sequel to Carpenter's Vampires. Um, and he is also part of the team that wrote the screenplay. Wait, that one has this. John Bon Jovi in it, doesn't it? It, it does, actually. Yeah, yeah. That's the John Bon Jovi vampire film, yes. It is. John Bon Vampire. And <laughs> God damn it. so there are there are three writers, which as we know on Not a Bomb means uh-oh, if there are three writers, but our two writing duo team. Wait, is, wait, 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 wait. You got to, in Scooby Doo vernacular, because he just says, Roll, 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 So our, our <laughs> team writing duo is Tim Metcalf and Miguel Tejada Flores. Interestingly enough, the writing team's first screenwriting credit is the story by credit for, wait for it. Revenge of the Nerds. Yep. They also both wrote the Road Romance Story three uh, movie Three for the Road with Charlie Sheen and the comedy Million Dollar Mystery, which was sort of like you know it's a Mad Mad World, but just sort of like updated. I think there was even a weird gimmick to it too, like if you bought a ticket and there was something you could win a million dollars. Whatever it was, one of those weird movies. Um, Metcalf's biggest claim to fame is writing the screenplays for Dominic Senna's California with Brad Pitt and David Duchovny and the horror films Bones, 
starring the Snoop Dogg himself and A Haunting in Connecticut. Tejada's biggest claim to fame are he wrote additional material for The Lion King, and he's best known for writing sci-fi horror films like Screamers, based on a Philip K. Dick story. He has a story by credit for Beyond Reanimator, which was not that great. And then he created the Prime series. Has anybody ever heard of this? SOS, Soldados versus Zombies, which essentially is an eight-episode season that follows the drug uh, a drug cartel, cartel fighting off zombies. Never heard Just of it. Just let that let oh. that wash over. Sounds you. amazing. Drug Never cartel heard of it. Yeah. Fighting yeah. zombies. I'm interested um, in that now. I'm all yeah. about that. For real. Our DP is Mark Irwin, the legendary Canadian cinematographer. He is most known for lensing many of David Cronenberg's early films. He's his, he was his DP weapon of choice. So he shot Fast Company, The Brood, Scanners, Videodrome, The Dead Zone, and The Fly. But he's and also collaborated. Which we've and, done. Yep. He's collaborated with Wes Craven on films like New Nightmare, Vampire in Brooklyn, and Scream. He's also shot a bunch of comedies for the Farrelly Brothers, Something About Mary, Me, Myself, and Irene, Dumb and Dumber. And yes, he does have a great connection with Not a Bomb because he shot The Blob, Showdown in Little Tokyo, and I Come in Peace, a.k.a. Dark Angel. But additionally, there is a Jackie Chan connection. He was the DP for 1985's The Protector. Yes, with Daniel. Yeah. Our, James Glickenhouse? Yep. James Glickenhouse. Glickenhouse. Yep. Glickenhouse. Glickenhouse. Not Glickenhouse, not a pseudonym. Although now yeah. I'm picturing like Martin Short playing like a oh, <laughs> Jimmy Glick. That's Glickhouse. why I'm thinking of that. Jimmy Glick. <laughs> Glickhouse and uh, Glickhouse and Jackie Chan did not get along. No, oh. it, it, we could go down. So we may talk about the protector at one point, but when we talk about that, we'll end up talking about two versions of the film. Um, Sweet little little story behind the scenes. Jackie okay. hated it Calm so much. Down, he went wow. and uh, reshot a lot of the fight scenes for it. And uh, the reason why we have Police Story is uh, because of his experience on that film. That's yeah. right. That's the reason. That's the one good thing that came out of the protectors. Yes. We got Police Story out of it. And we got the Jackie Chan we know and love. Yep. Uh, I want to go back to one thing. Tommy Lee Wallace may have directed some of Amityville 2. But for the most part, it was directed by Damio Damiani, which is why it's so Italian and so fucked up. So, yeah. Got it. Damiano Damiani. Did I ever tell you the story about uh, John Carpenter and my dad and Tommy Lee Wallace? My dad knew both of those people. We, you've told the story about John Carpenter before, but yeah. not Tommy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he knows. Uh, he knows both of them. Yeah, don't, I, I, I can't around. remember if you mentioned that because we did review Halloween Three: Season of the Witch early yeah, on. Yeah, that might have been on there. Yeah, yeah. So there you go. Uh, yeah, our music cool. is. Our music is by Brad Fidel, not Brad Anderson, but Brad Fidel. Um, He is obviously known for his iconic atmospheric synth score for The Terminator. He is a prolific and versatile composer with 106 credits. He scored Cameron's Terminator 2 Judgment Day and True Lies, but he's mostly known for scoring television, movies, and series. Things like Tucker's Witch, if you remember that, with Tim Matheson and Catherine Hicks. Um, The ABC After School Specials, he scored that. Um, I've totally forgotten about Tucker's Witch. Holy. I loved Tucker's Witch. It was like Bewitched oh Meets Heart God. to Heart. It was amazing. Um, <laughs> I don't know what the fuck you guys are even talking about. <laughs> wow. Well, I mean, it's so, it's so seminal that I completely forgot it existed until yeah. just now. Yeah. 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 It was wow. one of my favorite shows, man. I tuned in. Uh, He's also written the scores for The Big Easy, the underappreciated actioner Let's Get Harry, which is now streaming. Everybody seek that out. I love that. Uh, the drama, The Accused, Catherine Bigelow's Blue Steel, Straight Talk, and Johnny Mnemonic. 
I'm also going to shout out two, uh, actually three more people before we, four more people before we go. Notable producers are Herb Jaffe and Mort Engelberg. They founded something called the Vista Organization. This was a company that financed and produced projects for film and television, but also worked with literary companies to sort of develop properties. They produced films like Made to Order, Three for the Road, Penelope, Penelope Spheris' Dudes, and the Kevin Dillon starring thriller Remote Control. Jaffe has produced other oh films <laughs> like Demon Seed, Motel Hell, Jinxed, Time After Time, and The Lords of Discipline, while Engelberg, Engelberg has produced Smokey and the Bandit, Dom DeLuise's Hot Stuff, and The Heavenly Kid, amongst other films. What One he, thing to point out, too, is um, a couple of names you've already mentioned are carryovers from the first film as well. So music is the yep. same person, and yes, Jaffe is responsible for kind of bringing Fright Night to life, too. So he was heavily involved in the first one as well as in the second one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I should say, I love the score for the first film. I mean, just very memorable. It's got Jake uh, Isles' band doing the theme song, man. Stuff. Come on. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, two more shout outs. Greg Canham's makeup effects company worked on this. Canham started as an assistant to Rick Baker. I think we all know who Rick Baker is. Canham is known for his effects on effects work on films like The Howling, Sword and the Sorcerer, Cocoon, Elm Street 3, Coppola's Baroque adaptation of Dracula, and then he would move on to, to provide prosthetics and aging makeup for films like Mrs. Doubtfire, Benjamin Button's Titanic, Vice, and the recent The Eyes of Tammy Faye. And wow, our, we've done. Yep. Yes. And our costume designer is Joseph Poro. He is an amazing costume designer. Oddly enough, he has a ton of Jean-Claude Van Damme movies to his credit. I don't know what he and Van Damme have going. I have no idea. He sounds but awesome. He's also... He's also designed costumes for films like Independence Day, Super Mario Brothers, Stargate. The television series is The Ghost Whisperer, which I was obsessed with. I watched every single episode. The Orville, WGN's The Salem, and most recently provided the costume designs for The Mandalorian. Okay, pa pause for a second. Anyone here surprised that, that Jose just said, I watched every episode of The Ghost Whisperer? Anyone you know, surprised? No, no one should be surprised. Stop being surprised no, years not, ago. Neither that nor Tucker's Witch, am I excited? <laughs> <Yeah>. True. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Let's, I love you guys. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's, let's talk about the people in front of the camera. Uh, we'll, we'll start with um, William Ragsdale as Charlie Brewster. So there's, there are two characters that come from the first film. Of course, it's Charlie Brewster and Peter Vincent, played by Roddy McDowell. Uh, William Ragsdale is still working today. He's been in a lot yeah. of stuff, but he was just in something recently playing a priest. I just mentioned it. Yeah. Uh, uh, Renfield. 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 Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When I was on Watch Get Plus, I mentioned that. Yeah. 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 So he he pops up all the time. I think around this time period, you know, he had he had done a small part in a film, uncredited for a television show, but Fright Night was sort of his big breakout. And that takes mm -hmm. place in 1985. The same year, he also does a film called Smooth Talk in 85 as well. And oh, then yeah. Fright Night 2 comes three years later. Now, for me, Fright Night will always be the film I associate him with, as well as a TV show that I kind of liked when it came out. Um, and this is early 90s. And Ooh, it was Herman's Head. Talk about it? Herman's, Herman's Head. Head. Yeah. Yeah. Herman's Head was my jam. Yeah, what a yeah. great show. <laughs> wasn't It wasn't Tucker's Witch, but it did all right. Yes, it did fine. But the the one person I always spend a little time with is Roddy McDowell as Peter Vincent. Now, we've we've mentioned him before, 
because when we talked about 1979's The Black Hole, he was the voice of Vincent. But I'm going to start with you, um, Sammy. Roddy McDowell, do you have any favorite parts or movies or when, when you think of him outside of the obvious like Planet of the Apes, are there any other films that you like his performance in? Well, man, that's uh, I mean, obviously, I can't help but think of the Planet of the Apes the minute I see him. As Cornelius? Amazing. Yeah. yeah. And but also, I should say, I mean, he's synonymous with me with, you know, the vampire killer. Like, I know a lot of people talk about, like, the Roman Polanski vampire killer film and then Peter Cushing is the vampire killer and everything else. But when I think of the vampire killer with the the tweed get up and, you know, the crosses and the wooden stake and stuff. Yeah, you're 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 Sherlock Holmes meets uh, yeah. Vampire Hunter. Yep. Yeah. Van Helsing. He's, yep. The one, he's the one that immediately comes to mind to me because, you know, I have such a relationship with uh, that film. The thing about Roddy McDowell is he worked a lot. Yeah, 269 yeah, acting credits. Yeah. yeah. So I think of a lot of films. But one that I'm going to mention that I we covered on the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, and it is bonkers, and people should not just watch it. They should own it. And I want people to think about it, is Shockma, the killer baboon film. That oh. movie is bonkers oh, yes the great thing about roddy mcdowell is he just worked it didn't matter what the quality of the project was he was looking for a paycheck and uh because of that you got some gold and you got some stuff that he would probably rather not have ever talked about but <laughs> i'm glad he made a bunch of that stuff you know another film that always comes to mind troy for me and you and i'm sure you think this but it's uh uh, the cat from outer space. I have that. So that was the first yes. VHS we ever rented. Um, I love that film. And I, yeah, he, I that is one. It, so for me, it's the cat from outer space. Um, the black hole, obviously the legend of hell house, because he has a scene oh, yeah. in there that makes me poop my pants every time. Yeah. Um, I bet knobs yes. and broomsticks, which Will and I are huge fans of. Yeah. And overboard he's an overboard he is, yep. he is. Yep. class yep. of 84 i think mm-hmm. he's in that yeah, as well yeah, he's in the yeah. yeah no you're right I, he's he's pretty much he pretty much worked with every major star or director that you can pretty much uh think of yeah that's true you do you have any favorites jose uh you just listed them really really the kids fair is how i got you know introduced to him and then obviously planet of the apes but but he's also part of the the G Club. He's openly gay, yeah. so we own him. <laughs> <laughs> he's ours. He's uh, he's also you know he's great in uh, a film that I love a lot called Son of Fury, which is a Tyrone Power film from yes. the forties, and then How uh, Green Was My Valley, which is a great John Ford movie. Yeah. What about you, Brad? Do you, do you have any favorites? Uh, I mean, the Poseidon Adventure. Like we're not going to. Oh talk yeah, about yeah. yeah. yeah no, you're that. right. That, that's I mean, another sorry. great one. We're just going to run off. At first, I was like, am I, am I wrong? Is he not in that? No, like, you're no, right. He's no, definitely told, in that. Yeah. We're still stuck on Tucker's Witch. Oh, yeah. yeah. yeah I, he wasn't I, in that, unfortunately. I don't think he was anyway. I do have some trivia for Brad because Brad um, like remembers and knows everything. So I have some trivia to see if, oh, if you know this. Okay. So <laughs> he did play a Batman villain on the original Batman TV series. Do you know the villain? Oh, oh I do. <laughs> If Brad doesn't uh, answer, I, I'll, I'll defer and give you an answer. So, okay, hold on. Yeah. I'm trying to. It makes total sense given him, uh, and he's yeah. quite good in it. The TV show? Yeah. 
Adam West. The original team. Yeah. yeah, the Adam West. Oh, okay. Okay. He would have played. Did he played Bookworm. There you go. Yeah. The Bookworm. Okay. Wow. Good one. <laughs> I tell you, Brad knows everything. Wow. Yeah. Bookworm. There you go. Yeah. Right. He was also the devil in Fantasy Island. Oh, okay. Yeah, he, he's done pretty much. He's done pretty much everything. Yeah. Yep. I mean, he's just been in everything. I mean, you could. I mean, you could throw a rock and and hit a credit. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, 269 chances to hit something, yes, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, crazy. So let's go through the rest of the cast real quick. Um, we have a native from Louisville, Kentucky, rounding oh, yeah. out uh, our heroes. Tracy Lind is Alex Young. I think mm-hmm. um, Colt listeners of this uh, a podcast or Gentleman's Guide would know her from class of 1999. We get yes. Julie Carmen um, as our main villain, um, Regine. I think, it, again, if we're talking about the horror genre, the one that comes to mind for me is In the Mouth of Madness from 1994. Sutter Kane's oh, yeah. publicist, baby. Yep. We've got, um, okay, the, this is my, I'm just going to put it out here. It's my favorite character in the film, but he's also one of my favorite actors of all time, John Grease as Louis. So what's <laughs> What's interesting is around this time period, he would have also played another monster, specifically a werewolf, in the classic The Monster Squad. But that that's not the movie that I that I always reference um, John with now. Isn't he the uh, Wolfman that has Nards? Yes, um, he is in fact the Nardy Wolfman. And that may have <laughs> been his yeah, that may have been his yeah. most memorable performance until the, tit- the titular Nard Wolf. Yeah. Yes, but in two thousand four. He oh, created boy, one go. of the most iconic characters of all time for a little movie called Napoleon Dynamite. He is one Mr. Uncle Rico. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. That's he can throw that football over that mountain. He can. I, t- I tell you, uh, of all the films that I have never been able to relate to, that's one of them. You, oh, you've you've really? got to change that, man. That movie's... It doesn't, it, you know, it, I've seen it twice. It does not work for me. Okay, okay Troy. We also have Brian Thompson. Brian Thompson played yes. Shao Kahn in Mortal Kombat. Oh, I have down here Brian Bosworth. You're right. Yeah. It's Brian Thompson. He plays Bosworth. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he plays Bosworth. Yep. Yeah. He's Shao uh, Kahn. obviously the, the great, the great uh, uh, bad guy in uh, Sylvester, Sylvester Stallone's uh, Cobra. That's right. He's yeah. the night slasher. We've he got. He's also the gay bodybuilder in um, Miracle Mile, where like the two of them were like, I can fly a helicopter. <laughs> anyway, whatever. I don't think I don't think that was his character, but the gaydar yeah. is just off the chain tonight. <laughs> I love it. Hey, he's listen, I, I thought Brian Thompson was gay. He's married to a woman, whatever, but uh, yeah. yeah. He's a great I think he's, character. I think he's beautiful. And yeah. Brad, he was one of the um, one of the alien terminators in X Files. Yeah, that's right. He was. He, yes, he cropped up in like uh, Colony as as the assassin. Yep. Yeah, great, cult, great, great cult actor. He's in a lot of great stuff. Hired to Kill, Nico Mastarakis film. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, where he has a bunch of bimbo uh, assassins that he worked to work for him. It's yeah. it's amazing. It's amazingly bad and amazing at the same time. Buffalo. He was Buffalo Bob in uh, in um, Joe Dirt. Yes, <laughs> okay. he has a great Moving face. You, you'll know him when you see him, right? So right, he's very unique. Moving on, we got Russell Clark as Bell. So this is sort of the androgynous roller skating vampire. <laughs> now, what's what's interesting about Russell Clark? For those who don't know, this was Michael Jackson's choreographer. So yeah. um, he's he's he has a notoriety for choreography just in Hollywood in general, both in movies and on the music scene. Yep. Yeah, chocolate chocolate Bowie, chocolate Bowie. 
Yeah, Chocolate Bowie. Yep. Um, Merritt Buttrick as Richie Green. Uh, I think for sci-fi folks, you would know him as David from Star Trek Two and Three: The Wrath of Khan. Sadly, yeah. oh, that, that that is that guy. That is this is his <laughs> last is film, unfortunately. So yeah. uh, he had a couple of TV stints after this, but he he died at the very young age of twenty nine um, yeah. due to complication with AIDS. So this was his yeah. last film. And Yikes. then lastly, just real quick, way to put, uh, put a damper on things. Drew. Sorry. Well, this this will raise it up a little bit. We've got Ernie Sabella as Doctor yeah. Harrison. Now, if that voice sounds familiar, then go back to 1994's The Lion King. He was the voice of Pumbaa. So there yep. you go. He was. Yeah. Yep. Let's talk yeah, about a little was. production and development. He's been milking that role uh, ever since. Too. Yes, he has. He's yeah. been in all Hakuna this. Hakuna Matata. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> I like that, Sammy. Yeah. Oh, my God. There's uh, a promo shot of him uh, on IMDb shirtless with Jerry Seinfeld. Ooh. Yeah. Why Ooh. not? Thanks. Sexy. Oh yeah, yeah, he he was on Seinfeld quite a bit too. He did. Yep. My gaydar is going off itself. There you go. <laughs> Actually, he's really hairy, and I kind of like it. <laughs> I wonder if he'd let. Big I wonder surprise. if he'd let me call him Pumba. <laughs> like, oh, oh, call me Pumba. I. He would call you to Moon, and you, yeah. yeah oh boy. Okay. Matata, baby. Production and development. So, it, look, if you love Fright Night, <laughs> you I cannot recommend the documentary. Uh, more than You're So Cool, Brewster, The Story of Fright Night. Now, it was created in 2016. You can find it currently as a special feature on the amazing 4K release of Fright Night, which has a Dolby Atmos soundtrack, amazing picture quality. Uh, It's it's probably one of my new favorite Atmos soundtracks right now. So, uh, real quick, the first Fright Night was a hit. Producers are ready to start filming the sequel even before the first one was released into theaters, and everyone involved believed in working on the film and continuing the story. So the question is, like, what happened between 1985-1988? So this typically happens, and it and it sort of scuttles a lot of uh, productions. The changing of the guard at Columbia Pictures saw new leadership that lacked the enthusiasm for horror films held by their predecessors. The new suits favored more highbrow Oscar-worthy fodder, such as previous projects like Chariots of Fire. That extremely bad timing put the kibosh on the immediate sequel everyone was ready to do. The rights to the future of Fright Night ended up with a smaller company called New Century Vista Film Company, but Herb Jaffe was still involved um, as a production, as a producer. Um, and you've already kind of talked about it, um, Jose. So this New Century Vista Film... It probably doesn't ring any bells, but they were doing stuff um, like The Gate and The Wraith. So, you know, they had some horror sci-fi stuff. Uh, hey, GGTMC classics, man. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> so when the script for Fright Night 2 was first developed, Evil Ed and Amy were coming back. But by the time Tommy Lee Wallace came aboard, the script had been retooled in a new direction that didn't include Ed and Amy. Stephen Jeffries went on, so he played Evil Ed, he went on to be in Robert England's directorial debut, 976 Evil, and Amanda yes. Burse was starting a very long tenure on Married with Children. Tom Holland and Chris Sarandon were also committed to another future franchise. They were off working on Child's Play. Mm. And oh, wow. the studio yeah. decided to cut the budget by a million and a half from the original, so they were getting less money for the sequel. But here's the thing. Once the movie finishes production, this is where the story gets really dark. 
So Roddy McDowell and director Tommy Lee Wallace wanted to have a meeting with the chairman of Corelco Pictures about the release of the film. Also, Roddy McDowell was working behind the scenes on bringing Tom Holland back to direct another sequel. So there were talks about doing a Fright Night Part 3. But what happens is Tommy and Roddy sit down with the Corelco Pictures chairman to talk about the release schedule, how it was going to work, etc. They leave this lunch meeting and everything sounds great. Now, the Corelco Pictures chairman was Jose Menendez. So again, this meeting and everything takes place before the movie is getting into the theaters. However, Menendez and his wife were murdered by their sons, Lyle and Eric, before the release of the film. And if you know anything about true crime, you know about the the Menendez Menendez. twins and murdering their parents. Okay. Yep. So because the, the chairman was murdered by his sons, this ultimately interfered with the release of Fright Night Part 2 which attained extremely limited theatrical distribution before being dumped on home video by Caracol's subsidiary live entertainment. So that Mm. murder pretty much killed any chance for that film getting out into the theaters. And then it ends up just getting dumped. Mm. So there you go. Yeah. And again, this is covered in that fantastic documentary. If you love anything fright night, go buy that 4k release. Um, It's worth it alone just for that documentary. You're so cool. Brewster. Is that the is that a new documentary made or was that documentary actually on another release? It's been on 2016. Yeah, it's been on a I think a British label release. Um, it's been on yeah. other releases, but anything like Blu-ray, Blu-ray, yeah, yeah, 2016 I on. I, I think there was a Kickstarter about it, and you could have got a longer version of that doc. But I, mm. what's out there right now is is fantastic. So, um, and the yeah, 4K yeah. has ported all of the old special features along with the documentary and a bunch of new stuff as well. So. Um, they did an amazing, it's a three disc set. It's, it's pretty fantastic. Tom, uh, Tom Holland commentary, I believe, right? Yeah. It, There's it, two it, Tom Holland commentaries. Yeah. Actually. Yeah. He, he does really good commentary. He, he's really good about talking. He's really good talking about movies. Yep. yep. So yeah, bef- that guy. before we take a break and talk about Fright Night Part Two, just real quick, I, I do have a question and it's just a general question about the first film. Where does the original Fright Night sit in everybody's list of horror films? And I'll start with you, Brad. Uh, like horror films in general or yeah. like vampire films? Yeah, just horror films in general. I mean, I think it's in my top 25 pretty easily. Um, I love the original Fright Night. Uh, I think it's one of the best campy, fun vampire films. And I think the music just slaps all the way through. I love okay. it. All right. What about you, Jose? You know, honestly, and um, <clears throat> there's probably a bit of a nostalgia factor there because my mom was like, oh, I know you like horror movies. Um, Chris Sarandon, I think he's beautiful. He's in some new vampire movie. Let's go watch it. And she took me to see it. And I was scared and and laughing and loving it and giddy and everything. But I think Fright Night would probably be in my top 10 for favorite horror films and is probably in the top three for best vampire films like I've ever seen. Although I, I do admit to having a uh, uh, hammer sort of blind spot. I have not looked at, examined, or visited a lot of the hammer films. So I don't mm-hmm. know about those those Dracula or vampire films from that, from that angle. But yeah, I love Fright Night. I've probably seen it 150 times and know the script. Yeah. Okay. And, and what about you, Sammy? Um, it's a bit of a trick question really, isn't it? Uh, 
uh, I mean, as far as vampire films, it's like a top five film uh, for me, vampire wise. But horror film wise, I mean, it is one of the great highlights of the 80s and that era of, of horror films. And personally, I mean, I love it. I love it. It's, it's, it is the equivalent of getting a chocolate chip cookie out of the oven. Oh, it, yeah. It's, it's cozy <laughs> and delicious. I excellent. I, I like it. Yeah. I, I'm probably where Jose is. If we were talking rankings of horror films, it is going to be in the top 10 for me. Um, yeah. When we talk about favorite vampires, that's really, that's really, I mean, that that's high praise because I know all four of us love horror films. We do. Most podcasters are horror film fans first. That's usually how you come into this. Yeah. <laughs> Even movie buffs. Most of us come into horror, come in through the horror, uh, Manhole. Back door. Yeah, back door, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Of course, of course, Jose. The Soros time, baby. Yeah. Uh, uh, most of us come in that way. So uh, I'm trying to get straight. Uh, so to say that's a top 10 horror film of all time. Yeah. I mean, that is that is huge, dude. I mean, you're- it is. I'll be honest. I mean, when when we talk about vampire films, I, I have a tough time ranking this one in Nosferatu. Like if I had to pick two number ones, Nosferatu and, and this one, but you know, Nosferatu is, is very serious and it, it is sort of that classical piece of art. And I think Fright Night is also a, a classic piece of art, but it brings this other um, Hitchcockian feel to it almost um, with its rear window aspect. The rear window, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I yeah. love the Way fact- too- I'm sorry. Wait to it's, it's just for me. Like my mind is like sizzling right now. It's like such a big question. It, it is. But the, the thing in, so I'm, I don't know if anybody else did this too. I mean, I, I wanted to make sure to go back and watch the first one um, going into the second one, but I, I really appreciate all of these nuances that fright night added to the vampire, the vampire mythos. So, you know, Jerry's always walking around eating fruit and you're like, well, I didn't think, vampires would eat fruit and then you're like but there's a vampire fruit bat so um it's it's taking (laughs) these other little things and adding it into it uh that make it a lot of fun and it's so small details in the performances we talked about the music i mean fright night for me um is is in that perfect film category i mean if we're using the 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 watch skip plus it's a it's a hard watch If if we're using the gentleman's guide to midnight cinema scoring it's a 10 yeah. Tonight? Yeah. No. <laughs> so I guess. I guess for me. I guess for me, like I watched the Lost Boys more growing up than than Fright Night, so I would have the Lost Boys ahead. But it's just that nostalgia factor. Yeah, and and I think the Lost Boys is really good, but there's something about Fright Night that for me yeah. sets it ahead. Um, whereas, uh, man, it's that's a Ooh, it's a tough man. one. We, we could we spend could, an hour debating Lost Boys versus uh, Fright Night, but yeah, I mean, we could pull up list and talk about it. And I even sent you guys a list because I just was curious of the top twenty-five vampire films. The list was trash, so I gave up after the first list because I was like, <laughs> "Are you serious?" Like Fright Night didn't even make the list. Yeah, that's ridiculous was like, that's to me. It. I'm not even doing any more research. Yeah, because it is easily one of the five best vampire films ever made. I agree with that, and and I think it deserves all of that praise. Um, yeah, I put it. I yeah. put it in the top ten. Okay. Well, uh, uh, both okay. of both of those movies, by the way, have an interesting queer sensibility as well. So yeah, yeah they're both very, very. Uh, I mean, Lost Boys is the reason why I'm like a quarter gay. So <laughs> I, 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 man, 
all of a sudden, like everything Schumacher would agree, <laughs> just come into perfect clarity. Now you've answered so many questions. There is a lot of there is a lot of direct ties between vampire films and 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 homosexuality and stuff, and that's a whole other podcast. Shit, I mean, we could start a whole podcast on that alone. All right, yeah. well, we're not, and we're going to take a break. <laughs> And when we come back, we're going to talk about uh, Fright Night Part 2. So stay tuned. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Delicious things to eat. The popcorn can't be beat. The sparkling drinks are just dandy. The chocolate bars and the candy. So let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Horror of Dracula. Dracula, the most terrifying lover the world has ever known. Who will be his bride tonight? Horror of Dracula. Dracula, dead and yet alive for 600 years. Dracula, the human vampire who lusts for human blood. See Horror of Dracula. The greatest shock story of them all now achieves new heights of motion picture suspense. See Horror of Dracula and watch the fiend who rises each night from his coffin bed to seek the rendezvous that alone can keep him alive. See Horror of Dracula and watch those who came to destroy a monster stay to become his victim. See Horror of Dracula, but don't dare see it alone. The chill of the tomb won't leave your blood for hours. Horror of Dracula, all new and in flaming technicolor. back jose i'm gonna start with you we've got uh our two heroes battling vampires once again this time they're on roller skates not our heroes the vampires i really curious what where did you land on fright night part two so i love the characters so much and i really wanted to like this i I remember renting this on video because as you had mentioned, it really didn't get much of a theatrical release. It got sort of, sort of dumped behind the scenes, if you will, based on the the tragedy and all of that. So I remember renting it and watching it. And, and um, I think at the time, since I was one of those Fangoria kids that Sammy made reference to, I watched it and I think, I think I loved it. I think I was like, Oh man, this is like the greatest thing ever. Um, and so uh, and then I remember revisiting it years after and and then just hating it. So this is the first time that I've seen it in a while. I tracked down a um, Spanish uh, Blu-ray of it, actually. That oh, was all how, regions. How did uh, how did that look and sound? I, the one I have is, it, it's okay, the Blu-ray, but it's not that Spanish version. Yeah, this one, I, I, thought, it, I thought it looked great. I thought it sounded great. But, okay, you know, cool. I'm not, I'm not, I don't have Atmos or anything like that, but... Um, so I think the, I think the problem with this is it, 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 it shut up, Sammy. <laughs> <laughs> you, 
Well, I'm just laughing because people are so afraid to approach Troy when it comes to sound. I know. I know. It's like, it's like talking to, you know, Ken Jennings from Jeopardy. When we're talking about like sound, it's like, uh, Troy, it's, it's okay, I guess. No, I mean, it's it's got a two. It's shit. No, it's, uh, the, the problem with that mix is, I mean, you, it's it's an 88, 89 film. You want a good 2.0 mix on that thing oh, um, boy, until somebody go. goes back and remasters it. But since it hasn't been remastered properly, we just need a good, oh, need a good Dolby right. soundtrack. Want to right. apologize. Exactly. Fucking <laughs> nerd. So go on, Jose. Keep unfor- going. Unfortunately, like in the, in the late eighties and sometimes the way it is with sequels now, you know, it was like bigger, better, whatever, more of the same. And so What's weird is that you can see parts of the script that are like that, where it retreads almost exactly what Charlie went through and what Peter Vincent went through from the first film. And it's almost like they're replotting it again. But then what's even weirder is they decided to, I guess, expand the monster universe. And so we have this odd queer surrogate family that she sort of rolls around with. Um, there's this interesting Renfield kind of like guy who's eating bugs. I love the fact that, you know, he's spouting off their scientific name and then like chomping them down. And then there's a, a werewolf slash vampire. I wasn't really clear on that, but it seems like he was a werewolf. Um, but then yeah. she also shoved the roses in his mouth, which means he would have been a vampire. Yeah. He was, he the, was a vampire. It's just if the vampire lore, they can. They they can shape shift into animals, so I think okay. I think this. Yeah, group, it wasn't like, clear. I thought maybe he was just like a a werewolf hanger on. I don't know. And then of course, well, I think there was there was some confusion too because there's a moment when Fright Night comes on and he hears the wolf howl and he kind of turns and looks at the TV. Yeah, right. It, so they kind of anyway. sell him as a beast, a beast like character. But he was like a hybrid. I mean, even Gary Oldman, <laughs> even Gary Oldman in Bram Stoker's Dracula turned into a beast like character. If you remember mm-hmm. the. The awesome uh, rape by beast on tombstone by by wolf scene, yes, yep. by uh, Sadie, uh, whatever Sadie Frost, Sadie, Sadie Frost. <laughs> um, but uh, and then there's weird comedic elements that were, I, I don't know, it was just it taken in an odd direction because the first film I think was sort of meta and it referenced Hammer and it it was I wouldn't. I mean, I can see why Brad would say it's kind of like campy, but I think it it toes the line between homage and then playing into the tropes, but giving giving us something fresh and and wonderful and upbeat and well paced with good comedy. This one, it just it almost felt like their reference for this film was film noir because there's a lot of L.A. There's a lot of like the L.A. architecture and like dark scenes and stuff like that. Um, but also th- their reference points seem to be the universal monsters by including all these other monsters and then having the the girl read up on it and then being this team of like, you know, monster hunters in some ways. Um, but I just found the whole thing to just be a little scatterbrained. And I did not like the reversal of Charlie becoming the Amanda Beers character being enchanted and sort of like chased by the vampire and then leaving Peter Vincent and the new girl who I found she was cute and adorable, but she was also annoying. Also, she did this weird speed read. Okay. Thing. Th- no, you cannot call Tracy Lynn annoying at all. Absolutely not. Alex, Alex is not annoying. Nope. But, um, but nonetheless, 
uh, and then, like I said, I'm, it gets I'm, to the end. I'm, it gets to the end when I'm, they're storming. Go ahead. I just want to say I'm cleaning my teeth out in anticipation of getting in Tracy Lynn's. Oh, oh, yeah. oh boy! Oh, oh wow! <laughs> oh wow! Um, so, um, and then of course it gets to the end when they're storming the you know the compound to go go after the the vampire. And again, it's like the last sequence, just bigger and bolder and crazier and whatever. Um, and also some of the effects do not, do not hold up. Um, some of them are, were really kind of bad, but uh, rubbery, would be the word yeah. rubbery is, a yeah. word. but even if it's kind of a mess, it's, it's still enjoyable. I mean, just like you can't make an exorcist movie or a possession movie without thinking about the exorcist. It's hard to follow up that classic with something like this. And to not feel a little underwhelmed, but it is it is entertaining. I uh, I liked William Ragsdale with his longer hair, and he's also shirtless more and barefoot more in this one. And I don't know. They played up the sexiness of it. And Julie Carmen is sexy, and she's doing like this oh, dance man. piece kind of thing. But oh, they also did a weird thing where she replaces Peter Vincent, which was super odd, and then it she kind of is like Elvira at this point, which was like, what's happening? She's on the TV and she's doing all this stuff. I don't know what that's all about, but I'm glad she got that sequence though. Uh, Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you, she's somebody to watch in this. Uh, And of course I loved the non-speaking rollerblading gay vampire. I thought he was fantastic. Um, He's amazing. but, But even if I enjoyed it, when you compare it to the first it's no equal. It's definitely a mess. It's a huge mess, but I can see myself rewatching this and and getting into it and sort of loving it and, and enjoying it. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. What What about you, Brad? I, I know you've seen this a few times. What What do you <clears throat> yeah. think about uh, this film on a revisit? Yeah. So I use this as an excuse to watch Fright Night, the original, which I hadn't done in probably like two years. So it hasn't really been that long. But um, and then I immediately watched Fright Night two, which I think is both a pro and a con when, when watching this one, because a, you remember just how great Fright Night, the original is this one picks up right where it goes. So you kinda, it really helps to have that groundwork going into this one, but then you can immediately uh, compare it to the first one. And I think that's where it, it falls apart. It is not as good as the original. I don't think it's anywhere close um, I do have fun with it. I, I do think it's a little problematic, not a problematic, but it does have problems, um, with the plotting. I think it's, I, I don't necessarily know what they're trying to do. Um, I like all the weird vampires. Like I love, like my favorite kind of vampire is like the sexy vampire. Like if I was going to be turned, I want to be a sexy vampire that just like goes to fuck raves all the time. Like that's what I want to do. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, like yeah, everywhere, yeah. Everywhere, everywhere, you, everywhere you stand, there's like a Donnie Yen fan blowing off screen off camera. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I'm, I'm just, I think you, know, you would be the Donnie Yen vampire. Brad. And, if you, if you got turned yeah. to a vampire, you would be the Donnie Yen of vampires. I wow, would that's probably the nicest be, thing you've ever uh, yeah. said. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would say, yeah, you would be the Donnie Yen. I you think I would probably be more like the uh, mm, the Dom DeLuise of vampires. <laughs> I would definitely be Cleavon Little from Once Bitten. Oh, uh, I I'd like to think I'd be the Burt Reynolds of vampires if you're the Dom DeLuise of vampires. <laughs> yeah, there we <laughs> go. There we go. Giant fangs. 
Um, anyway, um, you know, the music so is, is, is fun. Um, I, I kind of have Jose. I, I see what you're saying with the effects. I kind of like them. I, I think they're really, the special effects are pretty fun. It's that age eighties, uh, practical weirdness. There's a lot of them that doesn't work. Um, but I have a hard time just not enjoying seeing this thing. Like I, I can see all the warts that it has and it's got plenty. Um, but I think as like a, as a companion piece to the first one, it really works, but it doesn't work independently. Like I, I think you kind of got to see that first one. Um, so when you make a sequel to a film, do you make it to where you have to see the first one to enjoy the second one? Or do you make it so that it like stands on its own? And I see both arguments of that. This one, I, I'm just like, they pick up immediately and they kind of do like last time on Fright Night a little bit. And then it's like, here we go. We're, we're doing it all over again. And if you don't know these yeah. people, then you're screwed. Um, but yeah, I, I, I still think it's, it's fun. You know, you got plenty of vampires biting people on the neck, uh, some really cool little set pieces. And, um, I do have a question though. She's a vampire and, and, and Jose, you're the camera guy. Don't cameras use reflection to make uh make the pictures uh, a moving? Don't don't they have to have pictures? So she wouldn't show up on. She camera. would not be video. Uh, okay. Yeah, she would not be. I don't think she'd be photographed. Okay. Yeah, good. I, I was like, I think there's like mirrors and stuff in cameras, and so they wouldn't work. Uh, but anyway, that one stoner guy working the camera would just say it's makeup effect, dude. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot of makeup. Yeah. Yeah, uh, but you know I. I enjoy it. If I give the first Fright Night like a nine and a half out of ten, I would give this one like a solid seven. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That first one's definitely an eight out of ten. Oh Jesus! <laughs> you and Ray. Why don't you just do a grading scale that's one to eight? <laughs> just call it that, okay? <laughs> eight is great. I'm not debating not eight is great, but you know what? It's okay to give a ten. My God. Um. All right, Sammy. Fright Night two. <laughs> uh. Uh, so I, I love the first Friday night. I've seen it so many times. It's again, I, I made the kind of the, use the metaphor of a warm cookie coming out of the oven. It, it, that's, uh, that's probably you know, the best comparison. Cause even when I watched it the other night with, uh, uh, Kevin, I, I was ruining the Atmos experience by quoting it. Uh, so. Yeah. I mean, I've seen it so many times. It, it is really that proverbial kind of warm blanket of a movie. Yeah. Like it just it it it's a horror film and it's violent and it's it has its moments but it makes me feel so good every time I watch it. It's just it's a comfort perfect watch. setup. Yeah, perfect setup. But not only is it a comfort watch, I mean Roadhouse is a comfort watch too. But it's but it's it's a comfort watch that makes me feel well. Actually, Roadhouse makes me feel good too. So I don't know what that says about me. But anyway, <laughs> let's let's just put it this way: this movie is definitely. I agree with Brad. It's definitely not as good as the first. I agree with some of what Jose says. I think this film, I think this movie does suffer a little bit. And there are some, unlike the first one, I don't think there's a beat missed. I agree. I think it flows yeah. almost perfectly, like straight eight all the way through. Not a 10, <laughs> but right at that. It flows like an eight. <laughs> I would be fucking nuts. <laughs> like, like, like an eight. Like the, like the, like the river eight. Uh, it flows. 
<laughs> but I'm just I'm just winding Troy up at this point. But wow. Uh, no, but I mean it does it does flow. I don't even remember what I gave it back when we reviewed it. And we More reviewed than this 10. Cinema Diabol- <laughs> Yeah. Well, it wasn't a 10, that's for sure. We reviewed this back with the Cinema Diabolica guys, which were two of the guys that got us into podcasting. So this has been a long time ago since we did this. Um, and I don't remember what I gave it. I'm gonna look at my letterbox here in a minute and see what I gave it on there, but I still think this is a very solid sequel for what it is. It doesn't have the Dandridge character in there, but I think it's a nice touch. I, you know, watching it this time, I kind of feel like the first one is, and I do not mean this in a derogatory way to anybody. Please do not think this, but I almost feel like the first one's almost like a, it's almost slightly a homosexual vampire film. And the second one is a heterosexual okay. vampire film. <laughs> Yeah. No, you're right. You're, uh, I think you are correct about that because Sarandon has this like crazy bisexual quality. Um, oh, but, yeah. but Carmen doesn't really have that. She's focused on the men. It's the men around her that yeah. kind of go both ways, if that makes sense. But yeah, you're right. This is more, yeah. this is more, uh, oh, hey, yeah. look, heteronormative. Uh, Chris Sarandon, he's one sexy dude in that fright night. I mean, uh, yeah. Oh, he, yeah. no, he, he is. Yeah, he's gorgeous. Like, oh, I don't know if yeah. Sarandon ever, I mean, talk about a peak of physical appearance. I don't know if Sarandon ever looked better uh, than he did at that moment in time. He was, he was at Baltimore Comic-Con this year, and uh, I, I, the line was pretty long to get to him, but I'm still kicking myself not going up there mm-hmm. and just, you know, talking to him or getting the autograph. But, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah I mean. I mean, yeah, he's, yeah, he's, he's getting up there, too. Yeah, him and Tom Skerritt and some of these guys, they're getting way up there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, as far as age goes, I mean, I think Sarandon's got to be close to 80 at this point. He's got to be up there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. He I mean, his sister's 70. Yeah, his sister's like. He has a great cameo in that uh, Fright Night remake, to be quite yes. honest. Yeah. <laughs> it's great, great, great actor, underrated actor. Let's just be honest. Chris Sarandon really didn't get his due in Hollywood, in my opinion. But um, this one, this one kind of oozes sexuality a little bit more but almost to the detriment of the film a little bit. It's almost a little uh, Brad used the word accidentally earlier about problematic. It's almost a little, there's almost a little bit of frat boyness to it. Now it's not, it's not like revenge of the nerds or something like that, which I always laugh about. Look, I love revenge of the nerds, but if you go back and watch revenge of the nerds, it makes you feel like a creep. (laughs) It's It's, it's a great fun movie, but it's like, yeah. (laughs) Is this what we really acted like guys? I think maybe we did. We, we probably should talk about that in like therapy. But I think that this movie is still fun. First of all, I want to get this out. Julie Carmen is, for me, at this era, she is like sex personified on screen. She is gorgeous. She has crazy eyeballs that draw me in. Like in the moments when William Rexdale gets hypnotized by her, I'm getting hypnotized by her. Yeah. I like the staring at her face. And I can't stop looking at her the camera absolutely loves her now she didn't go on to be a huge star she's still working and yep. she she's uh you know she still looks great really for her age and everything and she and she's, she's on the documentary fright. because they talk about fright night too she is yeah. gorgeous now gorgeous yeah yeah, hey yeah gorgeous lady i <laughs> i really yeah i really don't know how she didn't get to be a bigger star in some ways um man just a knockout and the minute she pops up in this film like the way they introduce her, you know she is the heavy. Like Tommy Lee Wallace knows what he's doing. He mm-hmm. he introduces her with power. 
and he yeah. does it with that trick of uh, establishing shot and then just a little bit closer and then finally on the face. So every time he's getting a little bit closer, you can tell she's looking at William Ragsdale, but he's getting just a little bit closer each time. And then when you see those eyes, you're just like, damn. Uh, you know, I mean, it, it really is that kind of performance and that kind of look. And I think she's great in the film. I really do. And I think Ragsdale is actually good in the film. I actually, it's weird. I like William Ragsdale in the first Fright Night. I think he's great as this naive Charlie character who nobody will believe. I think he really pulls it off. But there's some parts of me that likes William Ragsdale in this film more than I like him in the first film. And I think it's because I have a relationship with the Charlie character at this point. Like, I know what he's been through. There, There's a um, goofy quality to him, kind of a weirdness yeah. that he sells very comfortably. And mm-hmm. even, even if you look at his two girlfriends in both films, I believe it. Like, I totally understand why somebody would be attracted to him because he has that goofy charm. And um, he can be a little hyperkinetic at times. And, and run hot and cold, but I, I believe all of it. That's what I've liked about him in both films. Yeah. I think he's really good in both films. And, you know, again, he's, he's had a career. Uh, I don't know if he would have ever been a star, um, but he has, you know, managed to keep working and I'm definitely thankful for that. I really am because I think he's great. Yeah. It looks like I gave the original Fright Night four stars out of five. So that's about an eight. Wrong. Uh, <laughs> I might need to reevaluate that and go forward. Pause his, uh, Troy, Troy, kick him out. Kick him out. No, him I'm out not, I can't kick him out. I, it's, Remove him from the Zoom. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, percentage-wise, it's 80%. I get that. But come on. He's, obvi- he's obviously just... Uh, we yeah. can't be trusted. Maybe he can't look, be trusted. Look, I, w- <laughs> I will admit. I will admit. I probably need to go back and reevaluate that rating. I'd probably love it more than that. I'll right. admit that. Okay. Now, I gave this one three and a half stars. And I think there's actually a bigger gap between. There's probably a full star gap between the two, uh, to be honest with you, or a full point gap, or whatever you want to do. What do you want to say here? But I, I think this movie is actually pretty good for what it is. It's a pretty standard vampire film. I like the setting. I like the college setting. I think, for the record, I think this movie looks great. Dude, like it, it, is it does the uh, the matte paintings that they use for the apartment complex mm-hmm. have this yeah. very gothic feel to it. I love how you said film noir, Jose, because it does elicit that um, with the LA look and everything. But there is a very gothic film noir um, tint to everything, and, yeah. it, and it looks fantastic. And, and there's and there's, even some of the close ups on like Peter Vincent, where only his eyes. Yeah, are bright and everything else is dark. I yeah, yeah I, I loved it. it. And there's a good it. use of miniature work throughout the whole thing as well. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. It starts kind of early with that kind of a uh, POV of the vampire, vampire flying yeah. right with the mm-hmm. car. Yeah. I did not and like that model great. shot though. That was a model. It was, but yeah, yeah, the, no, no, it was, the it was. elevator shafts a model shot. Like there's so many different model shots that you don't really recognize uh, unless you're really paying attention. But then yeah. I think I think it, they work it seamlessly into everything very well with the edits. I, I mean, I, I'm I, I know I sound like an old man yelling at the clouds when I say this, but I totally prefer model work over CGI. Agreed. Oh yeah, I like, I, saw, I like seeing light hit real things. Like I, yes, <laughs> yeah. yes, yes. And 
by that he means light equals penis. But the uh, <laughs> yeah, it does. no, but uh, but <laughs> I, I, it, it has a texture to it when you do that. And you know, I look right past that. Like I agree, with Brad. I like the I like the rubbery effects here. They are dated, but man, I still think that Renfield death scene is fantastic. Oh, with the uh, the bugs coming out of bugs the stomach. Coming out. Yeah, yeah, I like the slight alterations to Julie Carmen's face sometimes with light and the way they use that. She makes a fantastic looking vampire. Yeah. I mean, they put contacts in her eyes, and now she just for somehow some way. She looks both terrifying and still hot. Yeah. It, it's it's just little moments like that. I guess if I had any problem with the movie, I think for me, the comedy bits in here don't really work like they work in the first film. Like, uh, I do like the scene of Charlie bowling. I think that's pretty funny, actually. But then we get the vampires bowling. Yeah. What was that about? <laughs> I, I <laughs> I'm not sure how I feel about that scene. And then they the, bowled the gay vampire, yeah. like literally bowled him down the lane, and he goes in ass first. It was I was like, what are we yeah. watching? There's there's yeah, this bowling uh, for therapy thing because Charlie does it because his therapist says it, and and you come to find out later that the therapist is a vampire. Um, and then they, I, I think it's the Brian Thompson character talks about going bowling because Louis is striking out. Um, <laughs> Which is funny. That's funny. I, I, I actually sequence, like the bowling. That line is funny. Yeah, this this tries harder on the comedy. I agree with you 100%. It's not as effortless um, delivery as it is in the first one. But those bowling sequences, one, highlights the goofiness of Charlie, and he kind of owns it. And then the second one with the vampires going through it, you kind of go, okay, this is just some weird meta in joke with bowling. And for whatever reason it works because it, it feels, it feels like they would go bowling and well, put a uh, head in and put a head so, in the, uh, in the ball delivery thing. Oh my God. So the, um, the reason why I said universal monsters, I'm also including like the Abbott and Costello. It does the Wolfman, because that's, that's what this, that's what this is. And I it, love that aspect of it where he's pumping. It, he's trying to get a mug of beer by pushing the guy's chest down because he's missing a head. That it, is the darkest Abbott and Costello routine you can do. Absolutely. I just, it's such a jarring change from the first film though, the tone of it. And, and yeah. again, that's why I sort of said, you know, this absolutely plays into the sequelizing of just make everything times a hundred and just give it to the consumers. Um, well, yeah. I, I think also that a lot of the good comedy, the reason why the first one works is a horror comedy. And I would classify the first one as a horror comedy. I sure. think we all would. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, but it doesn't, I don't feel like it. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I need to rewatch it. I don't really feel like it tries really hard for the comedy. I think the comedy's funny. I think the Stephen Jeffrey character's funny. Is that his name? I think it's his name. I think he's funny. Uh, People had, yeah. making fun of Brewster. Yeah, the, the comedy. The, the comedy's there. It's just subtle. Um, Jose so and organic. I were. Yeah, Jose yeah. and I were talking about like the Peter Vincent scenes in the background. Oh, when when yeah. he's holding a stake backwards and he's gonna go. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Peter. So that's the other thing that I think really this film that hurts this film. Roddy McDowell's great. I'm glad he's back in this film. He has some pretty great moments in the movie, but he's not the Peter Vincent from the first film. He doesn't have enough. 
Yeah. Well, they also reduced him. He went. He took two steps back in this film. Yeah. And that's that's um, part of the problem I had with the movie, really, because as great as Charlie is, and as great as Evil is, and the you know Gary Jerry Dandridge or whatever that character is, the Chris Randa character, and even his Renfield, which is a great performance by that character actor. I can't remember his name right now. Jonathan Stark. There you go. Boom. Uh, I knew if I couldn't remember it, Jose would. So there we go. Um, Roddy McDowell steals the show in the first film. It's it's one of it's easily one of his five best roles, in my opinion. I it it does he still? I, I feel like everybody. I, I I feel like everybody. Chris Serena. Every they all own their scenes to the point mm-hmm. where Roddy McDowell steals his scene, but then Chris Sarandon steals. I mean. Here, but the, the thing about Rodney McDowell's character in that film is he has the emotional arc. He, he does. has the he has the non-believer to believer arc. Like Charlie always believes, right? Because he's young, and of course he sees things. Jerry believes in what he believes in, so he's the vampire. That's great, and everything. But the great thing about McDowell is he he doesn't believe. But by the end of the film. His characters come a full 180 or whatever you want to say. And I think that's what makes it. I think that's what makes the first one work so well. Yeah. No, but it's, I think it's a great premise. His, Sorry. I didn't mean to the yeah. turn his character takes in this one, though. It was it was disappointing because he has to go through that arc again, again yeah. you know, and yeah. it's that that's what was all that ultimately didn't didn't really work for me was the treatment of the Peter Vincent character, because and I think the other thing, too, is is it's it's missing. This movie's missing the heart of the first film because, you know, like Troy said, all of the characters are amazing and full-blooded and you can feel their motivations. And, you know, Troy and I talked about the scene, even to this day, watching the evil de- the evil Ed death scene and Roddy McDowell like reaches his hand out to him like he wants to help him, but then he so pulls sad. back because he's, you know, whatever. It's sad. Gosh. It breaks my heart to watch that. It's gut-wrenching every time, man. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and this but movie's it, missing that kind of heart. Yeah, it is. It is. It's it's more of a straight up horror film in some ways, or more of a straight up horror comedy. But also, I think, you know, this film. I think about the first film, and for whatever reason, it makes me think of the stuff that Joe Dante and Steven Spielberg did so well. Yeah, that they could mix horror and make it. You know, you got the gratuitous uh, boob shot in. Uh, the first fright night there is nudity there's nudity in this one for the record there's mm-hmm. at least one lady that has her top off which by the way i have to say this if you're the the wolfman like vampire and you're standing outside the window there and she just pulls the blind down and it's wide open why do you still climb up six stories when you can get in that bottom window right there wow. I, don't, I don't get it <laughs> also but somebody anyway. leaves the apartment and i swear to god the door doesn't close i didn't go back to look but it's, no, it doesn't. It's, it's, he couldn't just it's walk right open. The door. Well, no, he can't. Remember, he's a vampire. He can't walk into any doorways unless he's got to be invited. Yes, oh, yeah. you are correct. Okay, so Troy. What? Let's hear. Let's hear from you, Mister. Yeah, I haven't yes. my opinion yet. Oh, uh, so I love this film. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you do. You love this one too. I yeah. So it's okay. it is not a ten. Um, I I would look at it this way, and I'll use Brad as an oh, example. I, wait a minute. Wait, wait. Is this an eight? Uh, probably a seven and a half. Oh, oh, yeah. But right on the seven, and then you say it's great, and you say so, not that great. Well, right on the banks, right on the banks. banks. So there's 
here's the thing. I haven't seen it enough as the first one, but I, I will say this. I enjoyed the heck out of watching it again. And I immediately want to go back and, and watch it again. And I think it's one of the films that it could easily climb in rewatchability, which also climbs on that score. Okay. Um, I've and, seen it now a handful of times and I've liked it more each time I've watched it. Th- that's the same with me as like every time I've watched it, like the first time I watched it, I'm like, Oh, that was pretty good. And then the second time I watched it, I, I go, okay, I really appreciate how good this is as a sequel. Um, mm-hmm. and how it, it's, so to Ho- Jose's point, it really retreads some of the same stuff that the first one does, but it adds different elements that I like that are, that are much better. And then the next watch, I'm like, okay, I really like this Charlie and um, Peter Vincent um, dynamic. They, they did a great job carrying it over. And I got a feeling I'm going to watch it again and go, okay, this is an eight territory. Because every time I revisit this, I, I find something to it. But I, I always have a problem with this, and I, I would use Brad as an example. Um, if somebody made a sequel to Pulp Fiction, mm-hmm. I think Brad automatically, and <laughs> even if it was Quentin Tarantino goes, I'm doing Pulp Fiction 2 more fiction-y or um, <laughs> more pulpy. More, pulp. more pulpy. <laughs> More pulp and, and Brad, you, you would automatically go, Ooh, I don't know. Like, how do you do yeah. something to like one of your favorite films? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I kind of have that instant reaction to this one that I love the first one so much as a self-contained, like not just piece of art, but, um, just icon of eighties films and icon of horror films that any, anything that you were going to do from a sequel wise, it was like, Ooh, I'm, I'm not on board. And, and then yet the sequel comes out and I go, Ooh, I, I like what you did here. Now we could talk about the remake and, um, I have problems with the remake and I, it's nowhere near what the first one is, but there's a point to it that I start to get on board with it, but I, I still don't love it as much as the original fright night and even the sequel part two. I really like that remake. It's good. I love the remake. It, it's good, but there's, <laughs> Again, it just comes down to personal bias, right? So with this one, there are always three things. And I'm trying to think of, okay, if there's the little things that I like more and more, like this time, what I really found a lot more fun was this sort of uh, cadre of villains. I really liked every time they were on screen. I like uh, Boz's, you're supposed to bite her in the neck. Like every time he's just starting to give that's great, you know, Louis grief and um, sort of their dynamic. But there's there's always three things that to me make this a just a great film. The first is they they were smart to make sure that the film is littered throughout um, with scenes of Charlie Brewster and Peter Vincent. That's a great relationship, and you can't go too far in this movie without having both of them on screen interacting. It is very much the Doc Brown, Marty McFly of horror, right, within this film. And um, they bring that same chemistry to the sequel, and I think they expand upon it to a certain degree. I like the inclusion of Tracy Lind as Alex. Um, I actually think she improves the relationship a little bit. Like, as soon as this movie's done, I was hoping there would be a third film with those three characters picking up and where else do they go? Because I, I like the idea that you introduce a strong, smart central female character that matches Charlie and Peter's energy level. 
And she brings something different to the table than those two. Um, and, and again, I would love to see that trio just keep going. The practical effects. I think the practical, the practical effects are fantastic in this film. So um, you get the holy water to the face and what happens to that vampire. It's gooey. It's amazing. Um, it It's just, it, it looks fantastic in the way they film it and make the transition from an actor to a model or, or a dummy. It works really well, I think, even in, even in sort of the HD print. Uh, the cloak on the roller skating vampire, Belle, that whole melting sequence with the lighting is crazy. fantastic. It's amazing. We talked about the stomach and the bug thing. It's so gruesome, but uh, it makes total sense given all the bugs that he's eating and everything else. Regine as a vampire bat, I think works. The only yeah. thing I don't like is if you look at some of the publicity stills and everything else, Regine with um, once she gets burned from the sunlight and she has this, I, you just got to go and look for it. Look for the publicity stills of Regine walking to her coffin when it's without just the fire her, effects. Yeah, without the fire effects, it is gruesome and it's fantastic. Yeah, the fire effects actually take away from that a little bit, but it still works. And um, if I remember correctly in the documentary, they were borrowing some of the visual effects from near dark doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I got a lot of near dark vibes from this. Yeah. The, yeah. the same effects people I think worked on near dark worked on this one. If I'm remembering the documentary correctly. And then, you know, right. a- again, it's, it's the cadre. I don't think you were ever going to match Chris Sarandon in terms of like a big heavy vampire, but they do a really good job. I, I think if it was just her, it would be a little problematic. She has all of the sex appeal and everything else. The fact that they have her and her little family with her just, yeah, it does what a sequel in the eighties does. And it goes, we'll give you more stuff and, and more vampires and all this other thing. But that family dynamic and how they work together, it's really fun to watch on screen. So this is just one of those sequels that every time I go back and revisit it, I appreciate it for what it does as a sequel because to, to do a sequel to one of the greatest horror films, and I think best films of the 80s, was going to be an uphill battle. And in my opinion, I think you you do feel the lack of Tom Holland as a director. I, th- I think Wallace is good as a director in this. I think Tom Holland would have been better with the same material. Mm-hmm. And he would have made a more tighter and crisper film. But I still I still really love this film. It it's a it quality wise, it's nowhere near the first one. Fun wise, it matches it in every way, shape, and form. That yeah. would that would be, you know, the way I would describe it. I mean, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. I mean, I think it's you know, it's probably at this point, it's really probably underseen because it really doesn't I think so. This you know, is, really doesn't. Yeah, I I'm sure there's something stopping it from kind of picking up the U.S. distribution rights, um, and somebody like Shout Factory or whatever doing a proper release with all the stuff that should be on it. Um, and yeah. really, if you want a good Blu-ray, a, I, you got yeah, I paid attention to the songs they use in it. They don't seem like they'd be songs that would be too overly expensive to get the rights back to. But maybe there's just something going on there. Yeah, I'm I'm sure this this stuff always comes down to like rights and distribution or. You know, can they find the proper original materials to do the remaster correctly? But um, no, it's it's a great film. Like I, I agree with you hundred percent. 
if if I'm thinking about all of the films that we've talked about for this year's Spooktober, this is the one I really want to champion the most where it's like, I know every, you know, Fright Night's been released a ton of times on Blu-ray. Now it's got a great 4K release, but people really need to take the time and search out this film and give it its due. It, it really needs mm. a bigger audience, in my opinion. Yeah. And, and not the remake so solid, stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Solid sequel. I don't mind that that remake. I don't mind it too much. I think Brad and Jose like it more than you and I do. Yeah, it's okay. I just, I would watch this yeah. over that remake nine times out of ten. Yeah. Ooh, not wasn't, there, wasn't there a sequel of, to that remake, too? Yeah. There was. No, I never saw. I never it was saw a direct that. video. I never saw that because I I thought the I, I like. Don't get me wrong. I like the remake. It's okay. There's just uh-huh. something about um, the original Fright Night and this part two that I I will I, I would rank them that way of the ones that I've seen. I would put part yeah, yeah. two over the remake. Was, did has anybody seen that sequel to the other one? New Jose Blood or Brent. whatever it's called. I, I saw it. It was miserable. But you know what? Okay. Since I'm a, since I'm a little bit of a cinemasochist, I actually purchased it on Blu-ray and I plan to watch there. it. Oh, there you go. All so right. you could. So here's the fucked up thing. <laughs> Fright Night Part Two: New Blood. You could buy on Blu-ray. Yeah, Fright Night Part Two. You can't get Fright Night Part Two. I know. See, if you, you if can we were to in all Spain. win the if we were to all win the lottery and create something like shout factory this would definitely be one of the movies we would source restore oh, yeah. add the extras yeah definitely yeah no, this belongs in a underseen horror sequels box yeah or something this this is but the it, one that i'm hoping honestly, vinegar syndrome or somebody comes out and goes hey we got a nice 4k special edition box set release of it or something maybe the this? mojo of this podcast will release it <sighs> maybe is this, is this- is this Paramount? I couldn't remember. No, I guess Paramount doesn't own this. No, I, it wasn't even. See, at that point, I mean, it really came down to. I, I bet you it has still to, Columbia, though, right? Uh, TriStar? I, th- I think I it, was it was TriStar at some point. I, I feel like it yeah. started with the Columbia logo. Oh. I only say that because Vinegar Syndrome has a really good relationship with Paramount. Oh. Um, Which is why you're getting new, stuff new like. Century. New Century. Yeah, why you're getting stuff like Daryl and Ultra 4K. Yeah, but I mean, this the, when it was released originally, it was sort of live entertainment. So I don't know what happened with all of their catalog yeah, at that point. Uh, like, who bought it up? Somebody bought it up. I just like, and maybe that's maybe that's part of the problem. Maybe that some of those other films that they tried to make didn't. Uh, they're bought up by somebody, and somebody's just sitting on them, not realizing what they have. Oh, sure, hundred percent. I mean, this gets into the conversation we always have, and this is always the fear that, and this is the reason why people buy physical media, and this is also the reason why piracy exists. Is because people are always scared they're not going to be able to see their favorites, and for some people, this might be the the Fright Night film. I would have given someone thirty dollars to buy this, to have this, to own this on physical media, but I couldn't, so I oh, watched yeah. it on YouTube. I was, yeah, I watched it on YouTube, and the the print that's on YouTube looks good. It's actually really uh, good. It, yeah, it's compressed pretty badly. I wouldn't recommend using the closed captioning; it's terrible. No. But because uh, I had to use it for a minute because my kids were around and I was just like reading it and you know I've seen this a handful of times so I know how it goes but it did look pretty good for the record to be on a public uh, website yeah it, it needs a proper restoration um, with Atmos no, I'm just kidding. yeah it does <laughs> Troy we know I, I, I did like my Spanish Blu-ray that, I've been eyeing that Spanish been, Blu-ray. You can get that Blu-ray for like fourteen bucks. I think shipping on it's fourteen dollars, so you can get it under thirty. 
Um, yeah. So it's weird. it's weird to me that though. See, that's where I always get confused with rights. I don't understand why Spain can release it. It's all the United States. So it it always comes down to you have the studio who makes it, and then it comes down to okay, who's going to distribute it or release it? And typically, Overseas, the one who does on the international is not always the same that's going to release it domestically. So that's what happens is you'll see a lot of stuff. Um, I, I'm thinking of like Albert Pune films as an example. Germany's yeah. probably released every one of his films on Blu-ray to a certain degree. I mean, that's how I got mm-hmm. that Andrew Dice Clay movie that Pune did for him. Uh, Brain Smasher. Brain Smasher. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, but they have the rights. No. They've got it distributed. You can't find it over here. So, yeah. So I got mine on Amazon. Um, it w- yeah yeah it was fifteen twenty four plus fourteen for delivery yeah, or whatever but yeah it's the Spanish one I don't know I dug it I, I thought it looked great so. yeah there you, mean, go. you know no special features though right bare bones yeah unfortunately it is bare bones um, I was hoping there'd be a commentary but not so much and honestly I don't think you need special features if you go and get that uh, you're so cool Brewster doc because it covers all yeah. of Fright Night too. It's kind of a shame though that Tommy Lee Wallace doesn't have a commentary on there though because he does he actually does really good commentary tracks. Yeah, come on, mm. Shop Factory, get your yeah, shit together. Man. I uh, mean, it's tailor made for one of these boutique labels we love, right? Yeah, so I agree. I All right, picks it up. final thoughts on Fright Night Part Two, Jose? Anything? Oh, so this is really tough. I hate to say this because <laughs> I think you're. I think everybody is right. I feel like if I keep watching this more, I'm going to come around to loving it. But at this point, I think it's a bomb. I'm sorry. Oh my! Okay, sorry, Jose. you guys. The, I think it's a bomb. The uh, I just don't know what to do with you right now. This army of the dead, whatever debacle that you, you know, love so and much. You know and what's and, terrible is I I would put Marty Knox Marty Knox on. She worked on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. She re, she wrote the remake uh, with Colin Farrell. I would actually put that above this if I were to rank them. So I, okay, yeah, you are the. You are the 2.1 uncompressed mix of this group right That's here. That's right. You're in timeout. Um, Sammy, where where do you land on Fright Night Part 2? I think this is an underseen uh, horror sequel that has got a reputation that I don't understand. It's a better film than people remember. So I think it's a little clunky in spots, but uh, I don't think it's a bomb. Okay. Not a bomb. There you go. Do you hear that, Jose? Not a bomb. Um, Brad, where, where do you I, ha- I have I seen it five eight. times. I heard eight. <laughs> is what I heard. All right, Brad. Uh, I'm going to say not a bomb as well. I I still had a good time watching this, and and again, I love me some sexy vampires. So I love sucking and fucking Troy. There you go. I'm gonna I'm gonna follow suit with the Donnyenna vampires here, and also say mm-hmm. it's not a bomb. Um, I love it. I'm gonna watch it again uh, probably here very soon. Uh, just because I didn't get a chance to to show Cameron, he's seen the original. He hasn't seen the sequel, so it gives me an excuse to go watch again and say, "Hey, yeah. you need to see this one." So, yeah, definitely not a bomb. Jose's wrong. So, um, <laughs> I'm the outlier. Yes, I, I have some feedback. You want me to read feedback, Brad? Please do. Okay. Oh, actually, I want. I also want to say thank you to the H's because I have been in, enjoying the picks by all of the H's for this uh, spooktober spooktober month. So I just want to say thank you, John H, Mike H. There's another Mike H, I think. (laughs) This one came from uh, Chandon, Chandon B. Chandon B. This is our one non-H. And and Chandon. 
Yeah. The H's and Chandons. I, I guess before we get to feedback real quick. So um, we're getting all of the, uh, I guess, treats out to the ones mm-hmm. who submitted. We've got one person that needs to check their email because they haven't given us their address yet. We're waiting patiently. Yep. Um, so check it H and B H's and B's. Check it. That that person's caught up in GGTMC land probably. Okay. Well, yes. If, if you're listening to this and you're like, why hasn't Brad and Troy reached out to us? Brad has sent those emails. You, you need to look at your spam or something, but, uh, I I (laughs) do want to thank everybody because we, I don't think we imagined having the list of movies come through to be at that kind of quality and to be so diverse. I don't know about you, Brad, but I mean, there, there wasn't a bad one that got recommended to us, to be quite honest. No, not one. And I, you know, I always get afraid when we put out like, Hey listeners, you're going to tell us what to do. And then like, no one says anything. So I was happy just people sent in things, let alone we had enough to where we had to like pick and choose randomly and yeah. then there was all quality. So we really appreciate uh, everyone taking the thought and the time to send those in. Yeah. And I, I hope you yeah, like I'm, the treats we I'm sent with, too. Yeah. I'm with Jose. I mean, I was on three of the four or four of the five. Unfortunately, I missed one episode. Yeah. But I enjoyed that film as well. Yeah. So I got to say, it was really nice revisiting all these. This is a fantastic, spooky season, uh, like film selection. I, I'm really. I'm really proud of the community, man. They 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 came through. So speaking of they that, they came through. Yeah, I I want to kind of play some feedback here. We've got one from Patrick. He says, "Hi guys, love the recent episode of Doctor Giggles, and really love the episode on Night of the Creeps from last week. I couldn't agree with you more that the '80s were a better time for horror movies overall, but I do want to point out a better subgenre from the '90s. The serial killer horror movies of the '90s were so much better and more engaging." Silence of the Lambs, Seven, Copycat, Misery, Natural Born Killers, Scream, etc. are so much better than any serial killer movie from the 80s. So, while I agree that the 80s slasher movies were much better than the slasher movies of the 90s, I believe that the serial killer subgenre was much better in the 90s. Thanks always, Patrick. I think that's a fair assessment. I mean, he had, he had me at seven. You, you like say, like, hey, let's, let's talk about seven. I'll be like, okay, yeah. You, you win. I, I, you win. I, yeah, I like where Patrick's head's at. Although I don't think, for me, Scream is pure slasher. It's not a quote unquote serial killer film. Sorry, Patrick. That's for me. But, um, yeah. Well, and then you get into that world. Like those films started to make money, right? My Silence yeah. of Lambs kind of kicked it off, and then Seven and films like that. And then you get into the video stuff of that, which is Ted Bundy starring so and so. And wasn't there one? Jeremy Renner was in one early. Yeah, that's right. Dahmer. I, yeah. I totally Dahmer forgot guy. that uh, Copycat even existed because when I saw that, I'm like, oh, Ooh, I want to go yeah, revisit. I've been watching Copycat a lot. Yeah, that's a good Harry, Harry Connick Jr. was in that. Yeah, I liked yeah. Relentless. That was from the 80s. Do you remember that? Oh, was that? Uh, yeah. Oh, James, not James Spader. Um, Judd Nelson. Judd Nelson. Judd Nelson. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that was, was a serial killer. This one's from Alex. Uh, I, I wanted to share this one um, because it's for you three says, just saw the creator today. Great movie, but it's been in theaters for a month and only just made back its production budget, which is a shame because Gareth Edwards is a very underrated director. All this to say, Mm. I have a feeling it'll be on the podcast someday. Well, Alex, if you want to hear at least Brad, Sammy, and Jose's thoughts on that, 
<laughs> you should go over to watch Skip Plus because I think all three of them love the creator, right? Correct. Yes, we did. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. I think it. I, I think that one. Uh, it might not make a whole lot of money on the back end, uh, but I. I tell you, at the very least, that film's going to be, I think, a cult film. I oh, yeah. loved it. I absolutely loved it. It was great. Yeah. We may talk about it some point in the future, but not in the near future because that episode of Watch Get Plus um, came out when the film uh, debuted. I had a chance to see it after these gentlemen saw it, and I agree with their assessment. And it's a great episode, too, to go and listen. But, um, yeah, the creator's fantastic. We'll, we'll probably add it to the list, but it'll be a while because – we need to um, distance ourselves and probably mm-hmm. see what it's like. Uh, I don't know. A few years after the release mm-hmm. on yep. a proper 4k distance yourself from that. Watch skip plus thunder. That's right. <laughs> amazing episode too. Um, Brad, what is what's going on next month? Yeah. So for next month, we are doing noir Vember and more specifically neo noir Vember. So we are going to be looking at some neo noir films such as, one false move the girl with the dragon tattoo that's the david fincher film from 2011 2011. narrow margin from 1990 and the narrow margin from 1952 yep and then we're going to be looking at a simple plan oh i love that one i cannot wait so yeah there's uh those those are all interesting and and for the record, I'm going to take a break from not a bombing for a little while because here's the th- I want to talk to you guys about this. I don't listen to myself podcast. Yeah. So I'm on an episode. I don't listen to the show. Okay. So lately, I have not listened to a not a bomb episode <laughs> since the girl with all the gifts. And it's messed up my podcast rotation. I've had to go to audiobooks. <laughs> all so, right. I'm just going to take a break for a That's little fair. while. That's fair. We'll be, this, we'll be back. Is this where you I'll tell us it's not you? It's it's not us. It's yeah. you. Yeah. Or it's not, yeah, it's not me. <laughs> it's not me, guys. It's not me. It's you. No, yeah. no, it's not. It's it's it is. I, I I just I have a hard time listening to myself. I don't know why that is. Everybody's different. Hey, people. Love that's fair. Them, so. That's fair. Um, but I, I just but even when I'm on Watch Get Plus, like I love those guys. And Jose knows I love him, and I love being on the. But show, you don't but, listen to. But I don't listen to it. After just, download, just make sure you download the show. Just, you know, help I, I, de- I always do that. And I give the play. Okay. You, okay. Get, you get the stat. You just don't get the actual listen. That, no, that's fine. That's fine. So, yeah, we're, we're going to do some modern film noir. Those are the four films. And as Brad listed them, that should be the order. Uh, we will have some new guests that have never been on the show before next month, as well as a couple of returning voices. Um, oh, nice. So it, it's going to be interesting. Film noir, I think I, I would speak for Brad, too. It's another of the genres out there that we are both like big time in love with. That's fair, right, Brad? Yeah, it was when you and I met, it was Hong Kong films, horror films, and noir films. Yes. Why we are such good friends. Yes, exactly. So uh, we're kind of excited to talk about the the modern versions of it. And then we're even going to dip our toes into some of the originals because when we talk about the narrow margin, or excuse me, narrow margin from 1990 with Gene Hackman it gives us a chance to go back and talk about the narrow margin from 1952. And I'm sure during the course of next month, we'll also share some other film noir favorites. I don't know about you, Brad, but kind of like how I tried to concentrate on horror films in October, I'm going to finally bust open some of those Kino Lorber um, Mm -hmm. film noir box sets and uh, go through those. So I'll be watching a lot of new film noir and old film noir, 
But um, highly recommend highly recommend Scarlet Street. Don't don't sleep on Scarlet Street. So you guys had reviewed that, and I bought the Blu-ray because that's what happens when you guys talk about a film. Um, so that's one of the ones I'm going to watch next month because I've never seen it. I'm really excited about it. So speaking of that, what what is going on at the Gentleman's Guide? You guys are closing out Halloween too, right? Well, again, I'm on the show all the time, so I'm not really giving any new information anymore. So, uh, again, we're, we're still doing Inferno. By the time you hear this, we've done Inferno. So oh, yeah, you talked, talked about, about that. it just a couple of days ago. That's right. <laughs> but but I am going to be on the next Watch Skip Plus talking, or maybe it's, yeah, is it the next one or is it the it's one? The next, it's the next one coming up. We recorded it. It's coming okay. out Thursday. Yeah. Uh, so I did do Killers of the Flower Moon with the Watch Skip Plus guys, and it was a fantastic conversation. I can't wait for people to hear it. Yeah, it was a great discussion, and it's a long episode. <laughs> it is. It's a, it's is a, it a two-parter? Uh, or you're just going to release it as one. Not as long as the Oscar episode, but you know, this kind of film demanded that kind of discussion. So All hopefully, right. everybody yeah, enjoys I mean, it. Troy hasn't seen it yet, but Brad's seen it, so he knows. I mean, there's a lot to talk about them. Yeah, there's a lot to cover. Yeah, I'm I'm the one right now that it takes me a little bit to get back into the uh, film to see the new. But in my defense, my problem has been. That between the senator, the AFI, um, the Alamo Draft House, everybody's showing a bunch of classic films, and uh, that's what I've been going to see more so than the new stuff. Yeah. Look, I'm, I'm envious of you, uh, and I think Brad would probably say the same thing. We're envious of you, Metro people, and your fancy cities and your fancy, uh, you know, houses that show these old films. You know, we're lucky. You know, we're lucky if we see Dirty Dancing again for the twenty fifth <laughs> time. <laughs> I, I know. Hey, look, we, I, I was kind of excited that we were doing film noir in November because the AFI just got done doing, you know, their noir fest, um, noir city. So, uh, it, it is, I, I will, I will say this. I've, I am so grateful of where we live in terms of everything that's going on. And we haven't even talked about what's going on in like Philadelphia. Cause I think the clone or it's not in Philly colonial theater is outside of Philadelphia, right? Jose? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Is rubbing rubbing it in at this point, man. You're well, like you're like the you're like the Dolby Atmos soundtrack of buttholes right now. I am. If oh yeah, I don't think I'm going to make it. But next Saturday they're doing a bunch of 3D films, including and you just mentioned this when we were talking. I think Skin of a Ring, Sammy. They're going to show Flesh for Frankenstein in 3D. Ooh. So yeah, I I won't be able to go to that why, one. Why wouldn't they? Yeah. Yeah. Why wouldn't they? Um, yeah. I, Oh, I got to say, and I know I speak, I, I hope I speak for Brad. Louisville is really ripe for a repertory theater, but I just don't know if it'll, I just don't know if the people would turn out for it. Yeah. I, I agree. It, it, it feels like, was it the Baxter, that, Baxter Avenue theater? Yeah, used gone. to? It's gone. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, man. A lot of things are gone here, man. The palace still has a little bit of a film festival every now and then, but. It's just really a, you know, old films are just not really a big thing in the city right now. And we're just, you know, we're just in that population where it's just not a, I don't think it's worth the gamble. Yeah. Well, I, we're not going to get an Alamo or anything like that. If we're lucky, Indy or Cincy will get one. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You mm-hmm. never know. Alamo's doing expansion. So they, they could yeah. pop up uh, in your area. If they do, I that'd actually, be awesome. I actually, I actually about 10 years ago looked into trying to get a loan to open one. That's what we should really? we should pull our resources and open a version of and it. Draft, yeah, we'd have to all live in the same city. That would yeah. That would well, help. I guess not. We could Zoom call. <laughs> sure would suck. Yeah, I had to zoom in. <laughs> That's true. Well, um, both Sammy and Jose, thank you so much for participating in Spooktober. 
it's been a blast. Um, yeah. Brad, I, I'm ready for next month. I really I'm am. very ready. Yeah. Yeah. I think I was looking over my list. I watched 27 horror films this month, which is pretty good when you have kids. Yeah. So. And you still have time. That's, no, that's, that's really good actually. Yeah. You have a few it's more days. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't know if you're listening in the morning, the afternoon or evening. Thanks for downloading the episode. Go out and watch Fright Night Part 2. It is a fantastic little gem of a sequel. And then get ready next week, Noir Vember, specifically modern film noir films. And uh, it, it's going to be fun. Hopefully you'll learn something too. So we'll catch you then. Don't lose your head. <laughs>